Well, we're over in the book of Judges. We're going to be over in chapter 10. Last week we were looking at Abimelech. We saw how they sought after, not last week, but last time we were in Judges. We saw how they ill will got in, divisions came in, people began to seek after their own good. And that certainly is very much against the things of God. We are not to seek after our own good. We are to seek after the good of the kingdom. And must be on guard against ill will coming in. But this week we take a look at chapter 10 and chapter 11, mostly chapter 11. But in chapter 10, verse 1, After Abimelech there arose to save Israel Tola, the son of Pua, the son of, it seems like it's Dodo, a <laughs> man of Issachar, and he dwelt in Shamir in the mountains of Ephraim. He judged Israel 23 years and he died and was buried in Shamir. We have no idea really what he did other than he judged Israel for 23 years. No real great battle was mentioned. After him arose Jair, a Gileadite, and he judged Israel for 22 years. Now he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys. I wish I could tell you there was some great significance to 30 sons riding on 30 donkeys. Of course, it's better than riding on more than 30 donkeys, but... They also had 30 towns, which are called Havath Jair, which is um, the towns of Jair <laughs> to this day, which are the, in the land of Gilead. And Jair died and was buried in Kaman. Then the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths and the gods of Syria and the gods of Sidon and the gods of Moab and the gods of the people of Ammon and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve Him. So it seems like they went all around and they served everybody except the Lord. <laughs> they just kept going around all these other, other ones. Not sure why. You would wonder why they would pursue gods that didn't preserve their nations. But we really don't have to look far for any of that to, to go on. Even in this um, day and age, as much as we've seen failed things happen in this world, people still pursue them. People still go after the same failed systems, the same failed ways of things, how to, having done before, thinking that, well, we'll do it better or whatever it might be. And Well, you don't. So the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the people of Ammon. From that year, they harassed and oppressed the children of Israel for 18 years, all the children of Israel who were on the other side of the Jordan in the land of the Amorites in Gilead. Moreover, the people of Ammon crossed over the Jordan to fight against Judah, also against Benjamin, against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you because we have both forsaken our God and served the Baals. So the Lord said to the children of Israel, Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the people of Ammon and from the Philistines? Also the Sidonians, the Malachites, and the Mayanites oppressed you, and you cried out to me, and I delivered you from their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. How many times have you ever come across people that you've bailed out, you've helped out, and they just keep falling in the same mess, keep going after the same things? Have you ever wanted to wash your hands of it and say, I'm not going to bail you out anymore? That's it. Well, that's kind of where God is with, with the children of Israel. He says, actually says to them, I'm not going to deliver you anymore. Go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. You go after them in your good times and you come after me in the bad. 
Go after them in the bad times. That's what he's saying. So they forsaking the Lord brings about a different word. And the children of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Only deliver us this day, we pray. So in other words, <laughs> do whatever you want, but just deliver us now. <laughs> you heard that from your kids? Oh, you can do whatever you want, but just... Yeah. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. So they, what was good, though, was they did this first. They first put away the foreign gods before they saw any deliverance. And it says in the Word of God, So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord, and his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. Sometimes we don't understand that God does not like to see us in misery. He does not like to see us going through bad times. It hurts him. And for Israel, it hurt, hurt him to see them going through this. So even though he said, I'm not going to deliver you, go to these other gods, he delivers them. Then the people of Ammon gathered together and encamped in Gilead. And the children of Israel assembled together and encamped in Mitzpah. And the people and the leaders of Gilead said to one another, Who is the man who will begin to fight against the people of Ammon? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So they want somebody to hit it up. Verse 11, or verse 1 of chapter 11. Now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty man of valor, but he was a son of a harlot. And Gilead begot Jephthah. Gilead's wife bore sons, and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Well, he was the son of a prostitute, and that kind of hung with him a long time. And Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob, and worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. It came to pass after the a time that the people of Ammon made war against Israel, and so it was, when the people of Ammon made war against Israel, that the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, Come and be our commander, that we may fight against the people of Ammon. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and expel me from my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? Don't we all dream that those people who rejected us for one reason or another would one day come and ask for our help? They've rejected us. They've turned us down for whatever reason. But then all of a sudden they need some skill or some ability or something that you're able to do. And they come and they pretty much beg, please come. Oh, just to be in that position and to be able to say, nope, not going to do it. <laughs> not going to help you out. Or uh, be able to name your own price or whatever. So Jephthah is in that kind of position right now. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, this is why we have turned again to you now that you may go with us and fight against the people of Ammon and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, if you, take, if you take me back home to fight against the people of Ammon and the Lord delivers them to me, shall I be your head? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, the Lord will be a witness between us if we do not do according to your words. Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the, and the people made him head and commander over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord in Mitzpah. So they rejected him, sent him on his own. He's the son of a harlot. And uh, no one's really liked him. He, a lot of rejection was there. And so he went into his own, this, into the land of Ammon. And they went and got him from there and asked him to head him up. So he says, all right, but if I win, do I get to be the top dog? Get to be the king, president type thing. Uh, you know, the guy who's head over the land, the judge. 
So his heritage had not been too glorious, not too great of a thing that he had gone through. And Now, if you want to know who the people of Ammon are, you can see uh, go over to Genesis chapter 19, and you'll see where they are in relationship to Israel. But Israel was not allowed to take land from Ammon because of their relation to them. But I also made this note how quickly we can be, we can like people who can help us. How quickly Jephthah can become likable to people who otherwise wouldn't give him the time of day because they found that he could help them. Verse 12, Now Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon, saying, What do you have against me that you have come to fight against me in my land? And the king of the people of Ammon answered the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel took away my land when they camped, when they came up out of Egypt from, Am, from Arnon as far as Jabuk. And to the Jordan. Now therefore restore those lands peaceably. So Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon and said to him, Thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab nor the land of the people of Ammon. For when Israel came up from Egypt, they walked through the wilderness as far as the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom saying, Please let me pass through your land. If you went through the books of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and such, you Remember these stories? But the king of Edom would not heed. And in like manner, they sent to the king of Moab. But he would not consent. So Israel remained in Kadesh. And they went along through the wilderness and bypassed the land of Edom and the land of Moab because God said don't attack them. He came to the east side of the land of Moab and encamped on the other side of the Arnon. But they did not enter the border of Moab for the Arnon was the border of Moab. Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, king of Heshbon, and Israel said to him, Please let us pass through your land and into our place. But Sihon did not trust Israel to pass through his territory, so Sihon gathered all his people together against encamped in Jahaz and fought against Israel. So Israel is trying to find a way that they can take, you know, they're not just looking for a, you can't just sneak through. You got about uh, three, four million people and you're trying to bring them to a spot. Imagine if somebody came to us and they wanted to bring three or four million people through our land. Well, we might be suspicious of it too. And Sihon was suspicious that Israel would come through their land and would attack them. And so uh, even though they said, no, we're not going to attack you, our land is over there. But we just need to get this number of people over to there. And they didn't want to do it. But not only did they say no, they came and fought against them. And the Lord God of Israel delivered Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel and they defeated them. So the main fear was that the Israelites would defeat them in battle if they let them pass through the land. So they went in battle with them and lost. <laughs> it happened anyway. Thus Israel gained possession of all the land of the Amorites who inhabit that country. They took possession of all the territory of the Amorites from the Arnon to the Jabuk and from the wilderness to the Jordan. And now the Lord God of Israel has dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel. Should you then possess it? So what he's saying is, that your countries did not, we didn't take it from your country. Your country lost it to these other kings. And when we came on through, these kings fought against us and we fought against them and prevailed and we took the land back from them. So why should we give the land back to you guys? Is what he's saying. And God apparently backs it up. Because God told him, I don't want you to take the land of Ammon and I don't want you to take the land of Moab. But since someone else had already taken this from them, they were able to take that land and be fine. Will you not possess? Will you not possess whatever Kamosh your God gives you to possess? So whatever the Lord our God takes possession 
uh, before us we will possess. And now, are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever strive against Israel? Did he ever fight against them? While Israel dwelt in Heshbon and its villages and Aor, in its villages and in all the cities along the banks of the Arnon for 300 years, why did you not recover them within that time? Now, 300 years there is actually about 350 years. But what he's saying is that uh, we've had it for about 300. So somewhere in the course of the judges, they lost control over this land for about 50 of the 350 years. And so he's saying 300. Therefore, I have not sinned against you, but you have wronged me by fighting against me. May the Lord, the judge, render judgment this day between the children of Israel and the people of Ammon. However, the king of the people of Ammon did not heed the words which Jephthah sent to him. So he knew his history pretty well. And he spelled that out for them and, and told them all the history lessons that they needed to hear. But they weren't going to listen to it anyway and decided that they, they just wanted to fight. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed through Mitzpah of Gilead. And from Mitzpah of Gilead, he advanced toward the people of Ammon. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whoever, whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the people of Ammon sure, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So Jephthah advanced toward the people of Ammon to fight against him, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. And he defeated them from Maror as far as Minith, twenty cities, and to Abel, Keramim, with a very great slaughter. Thus the people of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. So this people came over and tried to oppress Israel, which they did for a number of years. And Jephthah rose up to fight against them and, uh, and won. And it was a good battle. It was a good victory. And these folks weren't going to bother them anymore. But in order to achieve it, Jephthah felt like, I need to make a vow. I need to make a, a, a plea before God because very, very seldom or very often people seem to not want to believe the word of God when God makes a promise or God says he's going to do something and they feel like they need to give something to God in order to get something back from God. Have you ever felt like you're going to do that? I mean, back, back when you were in college or if you're in college now or school now, if you've got a big test coming up, how easy is it to say, well, God, if you'll just help me to get a, <laughs> some kind of a grade on the test, I will do. Yeah, it's the same thing Jephthah's into at this, at this spot. Or, you know, if we're out there finding, trying to find a job, we're all done school, we're looking for a career. Well, God, if you'll just help me to find the right job, I will do. Now, we're always making bargains with God. God's not out to make bargains. He's out to fulfill his promises. What has he said he will do? And we think that whatever it is that we have to offer God is something of great value. And that's what he wants. And he's just up there with all kinds of stuff. And he's willing to barter it. And well, what do you give me if I help you defeat the people of Ammon? That's what it's. Going on. Now, Jephthah, the reason that he's got this is probably because of the way that he grew up. He grew up, he was the son of the prostitute. He was always reminded about that. He was reminded, you are not a real son. We are, but you're not. And he was kicked out and sent over to the, had to go over to the land of Ammon and dwell over there. So he's got a kind of an inferior complex, inferiority complex. He's, he doesn't see himself as being all that valuable. And so this affects how he views his relationship with God. When he looks at God, God certainly must see me with the same lack of value as everyone else around. So since I am so of so little value, I've got to give something to God of great value in order for God to work through me. 
But that's not what God wanted to do at all. God saw Jephthah as just as much of a person as anyone else. And God was willing to work through Jephthah as much as He was with anyone else. It even said the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. That was to do a, to accomplish something, to do something. But here's Jephthah's problem. It's the same kind of problem that many of us face. Will what I face now defeat me in the future? Will what I face now defeat me in the future? We're always wondering about how things are going to come about, how things are going to go. I put this at the very beginning of your life. Most of our troubles come from thoughts concerning what is happening to me now, what will be, or what has been. Most of our troubles come from thoughts concerning what is happening to me now, what will be happening to me, or what has happened to me, or what has been happening to me in the past. This is what our thoughts are on. And as long as our thoughts are on what is happening to me now, what will be happening to me in the future, or what has happened to me in the past, then we're always going to be caught with this vision of being inferior, with this thing of having to barter with God in order for God to come through. We're not going to see ourselves as having the value that God just wants to show up for us. Remember, God with the children of Israel, even though they had kept forsaking him and forsaking him and forsaking him, and he finally said, all right, that's it. Go to the gods that you want to go, go to. Go to them for deliverance. I'm not going to do it. But he saw their misery. And what did he do? Oh, I got to deliver them. I got to help them out. But we don't always see that God sees us with that great a value. We look at our failures and we say, surely this is how God sees me much of the same way that I see myself here. What I face now, will it defeat me in the future? This is generally the source of most of our future worries. Whatever is going on here now, whatever is happening to me now, how will this affect me in the future? If I always knew the outcome, or if I always know I would come out on top, would worry and anxiety Stand a chance. Now, the Word of God tells us, do not worry about anything. Do not be anxious for anything. It tells us that a number of times. But yet, we still find reasons to buy to be worried, fearful, anxious. But if I always do the outcome, I would be relaxed. I don't know about you, but a lot of times, we know we're sitting there, we're watching a movie. Um, on the TV, you know, some movie comes on, it looks like it has some interest to it. And we sit there anymore and anymore. You remember, remember, I don't know, maybe it was just when I was younger. When I was younger, I used to be on the edge of my seat wondering what's going to happen. Oh, is this going to go on or whatever? And now I just find myself sitting on back, just relaxed, don't get tense at all, just watching. I know what's going to happen. <laughs> don't go downstairs. They're going to get you. Sometimes I can just... Lean over to my wife and we're watching. And, all right, he's going to die. <laughs> sure enough, he dies. <laughs> I mean, there's no suspense to it anymore. You can just kind of say, oh, she's a goner. She's going to die too. And then sometimes, you know, they even tip it off with the characters because certain characters only play bad people. And then other ones don't usually always play good people. And so if I see somebody, oh, I know that face. He only plays bad people. He's, he, he did it. I know he did it. He had to have done it. 
And you know, if you watch one of those detective shows and if they bring somebody in whose face you've seen before, he did it. I don't have to wonder. Right in the beginning. All right, I've seen his face before. He's not new. He did it. He's the reason they brought him in. <laughs> he's the bad guy. Sure enough, before the thing's over, he's the bad guy. There's no suspense to it. So you just sit on back there. You're just kind of relaxed and eh, whatever happens, it's going to be fine. Well, if we always knew the outcome, we wouldn't worry. We wouldn't be anxious. We'd be okay. But it's, it's that aspect that, well, I might fail. It might not work. It might not come through. And it causes us to be fearful, causes us to worry, causes us to be anxious. If we always knew the outcome, we wouldn't be that way. If I always knew that I would come out on top, I would be okay. I would take anything on for God. Because if I always knew I would come out on top, I wouldn't be fearful about taking anything on for God. I wouldn't be trying to get all these other alliances up. I wouldn't be trying to get, well, I need to be connected with this person and this person and this person because if I'm not connected with them, you know, I'm not going to be able to get anywhere. We wouldn't be concerned about all that. I'm connected with God. And God takes care of it, brings that about. Problem is, we don't always know, we don't always feel like we know the end result of the outcome. And our fear and our worry comes in and that fear and our worry causes us to turn to another direction beside faith. And this is what Jephthah did. He went into another direction beside having faith in what God did. God still came through. But verse 34, When Jephthah came to his house at Mitzpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing, and she was the only child. Beside he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he tore his clothes, and he said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You are among those who trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot go back on it. So she said to him, My father, if you have given your word to the Lord, do to me according to what has gone out from your mouth, because the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the people of Ammon. Now Jephthah, many times people have gone over this passage of Scripture and they look at this and they feel like the only reason that God brought the victory was because of his pledge, because of his sacrifice. And that was not. God was going to bring about the victory no matter what. Jephthah got himself in his own trouble. God never asked for this. God never said he wanted this. But he did it himself. And I don't know what he was expecting to greet him. Maybe his dog. Maybe the cat was always the first one out and he didn't like the cat. Maybe there was an unruly goat that was always out there and he wanted to get rid of it anyway. I don't know what it was he was thinking that he was going to offer to God. But what came out, first thing he saw was his daughter. And he wasn't so happy about that. So many times we can be convinced that God wants something from us to perform His Word. God does not want anything from you to perform His Word. I put some reasons in here. God performs His Word to first off show His love. That is the number one reason why God performs His Word. The number one reason why God does what He says He will do in His Word is to show His love. Secondly, it is to demonstrate His power. He wants to demonstrate His power to the world. He wants the world to know that He is God. He brought Israel out with a strong hand for the purpose of showing the world that He was God. That was His purpose in it. He said, I'm going to do it with a strong arm so that they will know that the God of Israel is the God of all. Third, to fulfill His promise. 
He performs his word to fulfill his promise. God loves to fulfill his promise. If God says he's going to do something, God loves to come through and do it. That's something that just is who God is. God loves to fulfill his promise. He's looking for opportunities, places where he can fulfill his promise. Not for people to barter and give himself some stuff. He's looking to fulfill his promise. And fourth, God performs his word to accomplish his plan. He has a plan. He's going to accomplish it. And he's going to perform his word to bring about that plan. These are the reasons that God does what he says he will do. God responds to faith, not offers. He responds to faith, but not offers. We always want to make offers to God. God, if you'll do this, then I will. That's not what God wants. God wants us just to believe. God is not a traitor. He's not out there. He says, all right, well, I'll get to be one of these, but what do you give me? No, you got to sweeten the deal a little bit more than that. That's not enough. That's not how God does things. But we still have our mindset in the God is a traitor. God is not a traitor. God is a fulfiller. He doesn't trade. He fulfills. God likes to fulfill stuff. He likes to get that thing, not trade to get it done, but to, I said I would do this, I'm going to fulfill it. He likes that when it's done. It is our faith that accesses His promises. It is our faith that accesses His promises. Walk along that line. Go along the line that it's our faith that accesses His promises. If you are suffering from a sickness and disease, you don't need to offer, well, God, if you'll heal me of this, then for the rest of my life, I will. You don't need to do that. God's looking to perform His word. Then she said to her father, let this thing be done for me. Let me be alone for two months that I may go and wander on the mountains and bewail my virginity, my friends and I. So he said, go. And he sent her away for two months and she went with her friends and bewailed her virginity on the mountains. And it was so at the end of two months that, that she returned to her father and he carried out his vow with her which he had vowed. She knew no man and it became a custom in Israel that the daughter, daughters of Israel went four days each year to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite. Now, a misconception has come out about this passage is that he offered her as a burnt sacrifice and killed her. He does not do that. He offers her up as service and she will serve the Lord the rest of her days as, and she will not become married and she will not um, know a man and she will not have a child. And so what Jephthah is doing, he has no other children. This is it. So what Jephthah, one of the reasons he's so sad is not that he's going to lose her to death, is that his house is finished. From this point on, Jephthah has no opportunity for his lineage to be in the Messiah, which is what everybody was hoping for, that their lineage would, would be part of the Messiah's lineage and so forth. But he's done. After this, after this, this promise, she's going to go and she's going to serve God someplace and she's just uh, going to be a virgin for the rest of her days. She is not killed. She is not burned. She is not sacrificed alive. The Word of God does not say that. If you were, if that was the ultimate thing, I don't think she would be bewailing her virginity. It would be something else. She, she's going to die. <laughs> That's what uh, she would be doing. But they became a custom. We don't know how long they followed this. Certainly all the days of her while she was alive, they did this, but they don't do it anymore. And it probably wasn't very long after she died 
that they stopped doing all that, but for whatever number of years it was after this that she was alive, they continued to do this. Well, the importance of faith in His Word is something that we see here. We need to know we have faith in His Word to perform what He says He will do. God will have faith in His Word. He will perform what He says He will do. We don't have to barter. We don't have to trade. We don't have to offer something to God in order to get something back from God. I've got to get out of that mentality because that is a works mentality. Works mentality says, if I do this, then God will do this. And if you get into a bartering system with God and, well, God, if you'll come through for me on this, then I will do this for you. It's not a faith area. Put this in your outline for you. The revelation of unknown and renewal of known truths for the resisting of false pursuits. We need to have a revelation of what is unknown, what truths we do not know yet. We need to be renewed on the known truths of the things we have learned so that we don't fall or we can resist false pursuits. Jephthah is going after a false pursuit. He's decided somehow, because I'm inferior, because I'm no good, because I didn't have a great upbringing or... whatever it was that he felt inferior for, I need to show God the worthiness of this cause. I need to be somebody. He wanted so much to be somebody in a land that treated him like garbage that he wanted to, I'll sacrifice whatever it is to come greet me just so that I can have this victory and so that I can become somebody in the land of Israel because they've always treated me as a nobody. If you get the revelation of unknown and the renewal of known truths for the resisting of false pursuits, you'll stay away from those things. Too often, Christians forget what they know. They already know stuff, but they're forgetful of it. Because we're forgetful of the things we already know, it's hard for us to move on and learn new things. And so we end up falling into false pursuits, going after things that we shouldn't go after. This whole story with Jephthah is a false pursuit. People mimic this story. People think this is a God-given story of a person who did what God wanted to do. He did not. God never asked for stuff like this. You'll never find another place in the Word of God that backs up that what he did was good, which tells us what he did was not good. It was not necessary, but he did it. Don't think that this is how God deals with us. He does not. He deals with us with faith. He wanted to deal with Jephthah in faith. He wanted to fulfill his word for all the other reasons than the ones that Jephthah thought. I put a shortened version of this in there for you to write down. Reveal, renew, resist. Revelation of the unknown. Renewal of the known for the resisting of the false pursuits. Shorten it to reveal, Renew and resist. And they're all important. It's just as important that you get revelation of unknown as it is for you to be renewed on what you know. It doesn't do any good to keep seeking after new knowledge if you don't retain the old. (laughs) We've got to retain the things that we've learned. And what we have learned, we need to hang on to them. However it is that we need to do, get them to be part of your way of life, your way of thinking. Don't, don't let them 
Don't forget them. Reveal, renew, and resist. It's so important that we resist these false pursuits. It's so important that we resist getting out of the area of faith and getting into the area of works. It's imperative that you do it. Jephthah lost an awful lot because he thought he had to go this way. I bet you if he would have just come before God and said, God, I shouldn't have done that, should I? He would have said, nope. (laughs) Is my daughter being held to this? Nope. Let her go. I don't want that. I didn't ask you for that. You don't have to do it. But he didn't do that. We get up to heaven. We can ask him some more questions about this. He can give us some more insight. But for now, all we have is what we have here. Now, as you get uh, things that are renewed to you, things are revealed to you. How many of you had revelation? God's spoken about some things. You got some uh, truth revealed to you. And you get renewed on these things. You're going to find an opportunity that when you receive something that there's an opportunity to give it to other people. You know, if you receive truth from God, your goal is to give it to other people. So what you receive, you give to others. But whenever you are going to receive something from God, there is going to be persecution. Do you remember in the the parable of the sower? When the seed was sown, the birds came down, there was persecution for it. The Word of God tells us, Jesus told us, that persecution would arise because of the Word. That persecution would arise in us because of the Word. You're going to have people that are going to rise up and are going to come against you because of the Word that is in you and because you stand on the Word. There are going to be some principles. There are going to be some things that you stand for. And because you stand for those things, you are going to stand against other things. And people are going to come against you for it. The people who come against abortion in this country have people who come against them for it, don't they? But the Word of God teaches us very clearly that life is valuable and that we're not to be able going around aborting babies. doesn't mean that people have that revelation go around and blow up abortion clinics and <laughs> such things like that. But we do stand against it and we do speak against those things. The word of God comes up and it says some things about people who are in gay lifestyles. And it speaks about some things on that. I heard an interesting stat the other day uh, that people were actually going around and they were doing a a survey amongst people. What is the percentage in America of gay people? And people were coming up with, you know, 10%, 15%, 25%, things like this. The actual number is around 2 or 3%. 2 or 3%. We are actually looking to rearrange our entire culture for about 2 to 3% of the population. But the reason that it's that people think it's that high is because the uh, people who promote it through TV shows and through other things, people are getting an, an idea that there's more than is there. And then they also try and put on people who come against that type of a lifestyle. Well, you are just a hater. You're a gay basher. You're this, that, and the other thing. And the truth is, they're not. I mean, Jesus, he came against people who were in adultery, didn't he? Didn't he come against people? Didn't he teach them against But when he was confronted with the person who was found in adultery, what did he do? Beat her up? Take her out to the woodshed? No, he said, where are your accusers? Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. So our goal is to help people that are in gay lifestyles. 
with the Word of God. Get them out of it. Get them into what God called them to be into. And to help them in that sort of thing. Not to, uh, not to hate them. But when you stand for what the Word of God says, people are going to come against you. They're going to throw false accusations against you. They're going to categorize you wrongly. You will receive persecutions for it. I wrote this down. didn't have enough room for it to put in yours. But when we receive from God and we live by it, we will receive persecution. Primarily, we receive persecution or the, the primarily the persecution we receive is spiritual for the things we receive from God. We receive persecution in our minds. We receive persecution from, uh, you know, the birds coming down to take the word, confuse us on the word, things like that. But when we give what we know to others, the persecution goes more, instead of being spiritual, it is more from other people. It's more natural. When you try and give the revelation that you have an understanding of to other people, people come against you. When Jesus came down to teach other people the revelations that he had, who came against them? People. People will come against you. What we receive from God, we will get persecution from. From the enemy. What we give to others, we will get persecution from other people. And they will classify you as all sorts of things. There are a number of people who have come up come up and uh, stood up for or against certain people politically or in, in political situations for the purpose of what the Word of God has to say. And generally, they get branded by all, and called all kinds of names because persecution will come. But if you ask those people, why are you standing for or why are you standing against that particular political candidate and they give you the reasons for it, the reasons have nothing to do with what the accusers say. Because persecution will come. All you need to do when we have, we have elections coming up, it is our goal, our role, to make sure that we vote for people who are on God's side. Just because a person is in a political office does, uh, please get this, does not mean God respects them. God does not respect every person in political office. He does not respect every governor. He does not respect every mayor. He does not respect every senator and any other office that you have out there. And if you want to roll for that, go over to 2 Kings, where the prophet is standing with Jehoshaphat and Ahab. And Ahab is calling for the prophet of God. You remember that? And the prophet says, were it not for the presence of Jehoshaphat, I would not even be here. I think he actually says, if it were not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, I would not even be here. Which means to say that God said of Ahab, I do not respect you as king. And my, prop, my man would not even be in this place because you are so evil. Yeah, but he's king over Israel. I don't care. There's a whole lot of kings that God had no respect for. And God did not put them in the office. And God did not put them in the place. Kings of Israel and kings of Judah. God was against them. When Saul went bad, what did God say about him? I have accepted. I have rejected Saul as king. And he went and he found David. 
But he rejected Saul as being king. Just because a person is in a political office does not mean God has any respect for them. All you need to do is find out from the Word of God what does this person believe, what does this person do, and it's your job as a believer to find out what these things are and then vote according to how the Word of God tells you that you should do. Well, what if a person gets in there and they don't believe these things? Well, then probably his church didn't stand up and do what they were supposed to have done. But just because a person gets in an office does not mean God was behind it. We could have a governor, the current governor, next governor, past governor, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, any other state. And it does not mean just because they got into that place that they are God's person, man or woman. doesn't mean it. What it means is find out what the Word of God says. Stand up for those principles. We all know as Christians, it's, I, don't, I think it's hard to find a Christian. Apparently, you can't. But I think it's hard to find a Christian who does not know and believe that abortion is wrong. And that people who go for this kind of thing, that they're wrong. And that belief can change a, a number of things that we do. And the beliefs go right on down the, down the line. That, but it's our role for, for doing that. Revelation of the unknown. Renewal of known truths for the resisting of false pursuits. Do not be found pursuing what is false. Don't be found pursuing what is against God. Find out where God is, what side God is on, and you line up with God. It does not matter what you want in this world. It only matters what He wants. We're only here, we're only down here, what, 60, 70, 80 years? Dear Lord, I hope it's not that long. <laughs> I hope it's not 80 years. But it, if it is, well, then we, you know, we keep going. We do what God says to do. But it's a short bit of time. And while we're here, we're here to do His bidding. We're here to do what He says to do, not what we want. And that's a, that's a big thing we've got to find out. I want to make sure that when I get into heaven, God says to me, all right, well done, good and faithful servant. You did what you, what I asked you to do. You did as Jesus did. What did Jesus, what was Jesus' line always about what he did? I am here to do the will of the Father. We are here to do the will of the Father. Our life down here, we are always to be searching that out. We are to find out new revelation. Get the revelation of what is unknown to you. Get renewed on what he has already taught you so that you can resist any false pursuit that is in front of you. And when you resist a false pursuit, understand persecution will come. People will come against you. People will say all manner of evil against you. Isn't that what Jesus said? You don't worry about it. You don't fret about it. You just stand there and you do what the Word of God says to do. Primarily, persecution, when we receive those things from God is going to come through spiritual avenues. But when we start giving out what we know to other people and sharing it with other people, it will change and become more natural. It will come from people. But don't worry about it. God told you it was coming. It will come. But it's a whole lot better to be persecuted for doing what is right than to be accepted in doing what is wrong. Let's get through our lives and make sure we never make a mistake like Jephthah and feel like I've got a barter 
to get the big victory that God wants to do. No, you don't. God wants to use you. Doesn't matter how bad your past was. Doesn't matter how insecure you might feel. Doesn't matter how inferior you might be. God wants to use you. And God wants to honor his word. He wants to fulfill his word. Just have faith in him. And don't fall into that thing that, well, I've got to barter. I've got to give something to, to God in order for him to come through for me. No, you don't. Father, I thank you that we don't have to have something of value to get something of value from you. That you want to honor your word. That you pour out revelation to us for what we don't know yet. You renew us from the things that we have learned so that we can resist anything that would come our way that is false. I thank you for the help that you give us, that we will be found pursuing true things, the true pursuits of the kingdom, that we will be found seeking after the will of the Father and not our own will, only the will of the Father. For the short bit of time that we are down here, we want to impact the great bit of time that we are with you. So help us as we go through this time down here to understand persecution will come when we hold on to the word and we do what the word says persecutions will come but victory is ours we thank you for it in the name of jesus we pray amen